0: Locked on NBA Friday edition instead of the great Adam Modis and Anthony Irwin on this show, though that one is still available on Locked on NBA. They did a special edition for you. We get the final previews coming your direction we'll look at the eastern conference matchup of the raptors and the wizards first the pelicans and the blazers host will stop by and we'll wrap up with we'll a look at the warriors and the spurs plus there's been two firings already which could be a bloodbath for nba coaches and we'll look at what happened in orlando new york it's all coming up on today's edition of locked on nba
1: you are locked on the nba part of the locked on podcast network
0: Hello everybody, I'm David Locke, founder of the Locked On Podcast Network. Let's get right to the previews today. One note for you though, if you haven't heard, there is LockedOnSports.com, which hosts all of the Locked On Podcasts and all the original content of the great Locked On Podcast Network hosts. So make sure you bookmark that, LockedOnSports.com. Let's get it going right away. We'll start with Eastern Conference and have the Raptors and the Wizards. Sean Woodley hosts the Raptors. Noah does a great job with the Wizards. It's coming to you right here. Hey, I'm Sean Woodley from Locked On Raptors.
1: What's going on? This is Noah Getzel from Locked On The Wizards. Thanks for Call me up Sean it's good to hear from you do you live in Toronto
2: uh I used to I live like an hour outside Toronto now it's easier to just say yes okay. I, I go to games and stuff I'm within the range of getting to games so yeah we'll say yeah that although uh anyone who lives in Hamilton Ontario will be very offended if I said it was Toronto <laughs> and vice versa so uh
1: <laughs> the accent is not noticeable whatsoever so
2: I appreciate you, you that
1: you do a good job of, of masking you know your origins I guess most like, of us the weather in Toronto is awful uh, these days. It's like cold and rainy. Here in D.C., it's beautiful. It was like 70 today. It's supposed to go up to 80 this next couple of days.
2: Well, uh, enjoy the nice things while you have them, I suppose. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) We're, of course, here to talk about the Raptors and Wizards first round matchup, which was set last night when the Wizards completely laid an egg against the Orlando Magic and Rodney Purvis, apparently, is a guy who does things. (laughs) And the Raptors... Had to look up. Yeah, the Raptors didn't have much in the way of a say over what they were going to be able to, you know, do in the in the first round. I think if had they beaten the Heat and the Wizards had won, then that might have been the first round matchup. But I'm not exactly sure how all the tiebreakers worked out. Um, so this is what the Raptors are stuck with. I think of the three potential first round matchups between the Bucks, the. Uh, Wizards and Heat. I think the Wizards are probably the matchup that has people freaking out the most, at least in Toronto. Um, Of course, the memories of a few years ago are still fresh in people's minds from 2015 when they got swept. I guess we can start there. That's kind of the big narrative thing that people are going to talk about when I don't know what you think. I'm not sure it matters all that much, but it's going to be something that's mentioned. There will be highlights of Paul Pierce uh, sinking the Raptors in that series. Uh, Of course, Paul Pierce is no longer to be found, but how much do you like in terms of similarities I guess between that 2015 Wizards team and this Raptors team like do you see any or is this just kind of like clean slate nothing from that series matters at all except for maybe some sort of mental edge that might exist, but I'm not sure that even exists anymore um like where are you at in terms of looking at that series in 2015 and today and sort of winding the two up and saying and trying to draw sort of any conclusions from that
1: well you've got to f- Few key players for the Wizards who are you know, part of that matchup back in the 2014 15 season who know, you know, what it takes to beat the Raptors, even though the Raptors have changed their, their philosophy a little bit. Uh, when you look at the, the same four players are the best players mm-hmm. in this series. So you've got Wall and Beal for the Wizards. And do you still consider Kyle Lowry, you know, one of your top two players, him and DeRozan? It seems like those yeah. guys are, have kind of stayed stagnant, um, obviously, for the Wizards. Porter has developed, Ubre has developed, the bench is a lot deep. They don't really have a physically imposing guy quite as much anymore, like they used to have uh, in the nay. But a lot of similar characteristics. The biggest fear is the young guys, the youth, and the bench for the Raptors, uh, mm-hmm. and that, that I think will, will be a big difference. But uh, do you do you feel like um, it's you know the same top four guys, top two guys on each team, kind of you know two of the best backcourts in, in the Eastern Conference in the NBA, just going back head to head, or the the Raptors much more of a a team now instead of kind of relying on, on those guys to generate things offensively and, you know, Lowry leading the defense still.
2: So. No, I mean, it's still DeMar and Kyle are the two best players on the team by a pretty significant margin. Uh, and, like, I think whereas a few years ago I might have said, like, Wall was probably the best player in the series, period, I think there's an argument to be made that, like, either Kyle or DeMar is at this point. And, like, if you were to power rank those four players – I'm not sure how it weighs out, but like I don't think the Raptors are as overmatched as maybe they were a few years ago. DeRozan's got a lot better, particularly as a playmaker. His three-point shooting's gotten a lot of buzz this season, but he's been like 31%. It's just like a higher volume for him, so the fact that he's like taking them is nice, but uh, yeah. it's been more his playmaking and his ability to sort of diagnose traps. Like Traps have always been his kryptonite in the playoffs, as recently as last season, uh, and a lot of that was having you know supporting cast members who were like Patrick Patterson. They would get the ball wide open on the wing and travel instead have hit a 3 like that kind of thing Damari Carroll with his sort of hapless drives like the, the, the supporting cast wasn't great but DeMar's decision-making wasn't very good either. He's gotten much better at that. There, you know, A lot of times this season, teams will come out really aggressive against DeMar, and he'll have like eight assists in the first half, and then kind of move mm-hmm. into his offense in the second half because teams are like, oh, wait, he can do this now. We can't really sell out to stop him and get the ball out of his hands because other guys in the team are going to hurt them. Uh, and because DeMar, like, he's just making the right reads in those situations now. He's not getting bogged down and trapped and turning the ball over or having to call timeouts because there's no way out. Like He's just been much smoother with that, um, so yeah, I think you know I still think Kyle Lowry's a better player than Demar Derozan overall in terms of like overall impact. Really? On, yeah, wow, that's cool. overall impact on the game. He's a better defender. He's a better shooter. He's still, I think, a better playmaker, and like he does a lot more like tiny role player type things that Derozan doesn't really do. Um, mm-hmm. So, as much as Derozan's kind of taken the reins of the offense this season, I still think Kyle's the most important. But I think you can make an argument that based on their play this season both Kyle and DeMar are like either 1-2 in the series or it's like 1 and then like a 1-B tie with Bradley Beal Uh, I don't really know how to sort of delineate it but I think John Wall's drop off this season before he got hurt and then obviously he's still working his way back like I think that matters a lot for this series so that, I think, is going to, uh, you know, we can get into this a little bit more, but I think the the John Wall drop-off is going to be is sort of a big factor in this series. And, yeah, you mentioned just, like, the way the Raptors are playing now. They're just not the same team anymore. They're not ISO heavy. They're not so dependent on Kyle and DeMar to score 30 every night. Like, those guys have had multiple games this season where they've scored, like, 12 points each, and the Raptors still put up 130 points because... Uh-huh. Everyone on the team can contribute. The second unit, which I'm sure we'll get to as well, has been excellent. Um, So I just think it's been, you know, a very sort of transformative season for the Raptors this year. And I think any sort of stink that's still on the the team from 2015, I think, is very, very, uh, you know, scarce at this point. And I think it's more of a fan paranoia thing. Like Raptors fans are notoriously scared of everything. Um, So I I think it's understandable that that fans are looking at it and, and sort of being. Sort of cautious and mindful of what happened three years ago, but I think it's kind of a different game right now with Beal and Wall. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. ahead. No, no, I just with Beal and Wall like. How has their game sort of developed since then? I mean, Beale's become a better playmaker. The Raptors have seen him kind of own them a couple times this year uh, when he's kind of, you know, without John Wall in the lineup, he's kind of taken the reins of the offense and been very effective. Um, like, how have those guys grown over the last few years or, or or regressed in some ways? Like, has it been sort of just a straight shot for those guys, or has there been some up and down along the way?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the playmaking because, uh, uh, you know, DeRozan is at 5.2 assists this year, which is, uh, his highest before that was 4.0 so he's he's made a big difference there. I think Beal is very similar and a lot of it has to do with all the double teams that he faced when John Wall was out for mm. half the season but he's developed into a much better playmaker and you can't really take much from the regular season matchups uh, where the series was split 2-2 between these teams because John Wall did not play in a single one of those games. Uh, Beal was excellent. He scored 38 points 27 points, 27 and 23 and he never had a game where he shot under forty. 40- Five percent. He got, you know, solid, like, about eight, like, five or six rebounds, you know, Mm -hmm. six assists in that range, three steals one of those games. So he has definitely developed into a more all-around player instead of, like, a catch-and-shoot type of guy that he started off as earlier in his career, I would say. What do you think the keys to this series are?
2: You know what, Noah? I do have three keys for this series, but... You're going to have to listen to the full preview of of Raptors Wizards on the Locked on Raptors and Locked on Wizards feeds uh, in order for for you to hear them. So please do that. Uh, Subscribe to the podcast. And thanks so much for listening to this mini snippet of our full Raptors Wizards playoff preview.
0: Well, that wraps up our Eastern Conference coverage. Unfortunately, Chris Manning of Locked on Cavaliers and the crew of Tony East and Adam Friedman of the Pacers couldn't connect for their crossover. They'll do it later this week. For all the latest on that last series, make sure that you get Locked on Wizards and Locked on Raptors news and both Locked on and locked on Raptors.com with Sean Woodley does a great job as well. Now let's get our final two Western Conference matchups. We'll start off with the 3-6. Eric Gunderson Garcia does great work on lockdown Blazers and Jake Madison has locked on rolling as well as locked on Pelicans. Anthony Davis going up against Dame Lillard should be a great series. Here's the breakdown from the guys. Hey
3: everyone. It's Jake Madison host of locked on Pelicans and you can follow me on Twitter at Nola Jake and
4: I'm Eric Garcia Gunderson, and you can follow me on Twitter, at Eric, E-R-I-K, underscore Gunderson, with an E-N, and I'm the host of Locked Blazers.
3: And we're here to give you a quick preview about the first-round matchup between the three and six seeds in the Western Conference, the Blazers and the Pelicans. This is going to be a fun one, because Eric and I were just talking about this. There's a lot of interesting matchups. So, Eric, right off the bat, how do how do the Trailblazers win this series?
4: Uh, you know, they win this series with excellent backcourt play with rebounding and and i think those are the two biggest keys and if they can control the tempo i think that that's a that's a that's another big key for them so if control the tempo get the backcourt to play like stars and then also you know really really hit the boards and, and, and really own the interior
3: Yeah, you know, I think tempo might be the biggest thing here. The Pelicans like to play fast, get in transition, get those easy buckets because they're not the best in the half court, whereas Portland doesn't really want to let New Orleans into that style. They're one of the better defenses, and the Pelicans need to kind of find a way to get around all of that. So getting stops is going to be important, and that leads me to something that worries me a lot in this series, and that's going to be rebounding. Portland's top ten, I think they're ninth best when it comes to offensive rebounding. The Pelicans are 21st. You can't get in transition Unless you're ending possessions, getting stops, or having to inbound the basket, what's made Portland so efficient there?
4: You know they, they've been really good on the offensive glass. Uh, two years ago, they, they were really good on the offensive boards because of Ed Davis. Last year, Davis was dealing with shoulder injury; he was not really the same. And I know it's kind of uh, you know weird to hear someone talk about the team's backup center like this with some you know such an important role, but it really was an important role for this team, and he can come in off the bench and just get extra possessions, and he's just really a beast there. But then Nurkic is another guy who uses his size very well in the middle. And then on top of that, they also have some good rebounding wings in Aminu, Evan Turner, and and those guys, and and Mo Hartless, too, who we might see when the series shifts to New Orleans. Uh, He's working back from a knee injury. So they have a lot of guys... At, in the front court, that are very good at rebounding, and it just kind of builds on top of itself to create
3: this good rebounding team. Yeah. and, and So, what gives you nightmares here for the Pelicans?
4: Um, you know, obviously Anthony Davis is 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 number one a nightmare on the Blazers' list. What can they do? I mean, they're going to put Alfonso MiNu on him. They're going to, you know, I don't know if Nurkic is going to guard him very much. And and just the way he can move around and they can I mean he's like a queen on the chessboard. You put him all over the place and he it's always gonna cause a problem. You know the cards. you know, I think I think it's a really interesting backcourt matchup too because uh, Portland I think has a choice here whether they want to match up small with the Pelicans and go with Shabazz Mavier a little bit more than say Evan Turner. Or they can say, we want to use our size as an asset and try and maybe play through Evan Turner, who's been a pretty solid post player. And I think that's one of the really interesting things to watch for in these first two games is what does Portland do? How do they approach this, you know, kind of unorthodox Pelicans attack?
3: Yeah, and we've got Rondo playing at a very high level too, which makes their backcourt a little bit more intimidating. And playoff Rondo is a thing, and he's led the team in assists the past number of games, kind of changing the geometry on the court, freeing up Drew Holiday to be this attacking player that's kind of given Holiday one of his best seasons as a pro so far, and really making it a monster pairing with him and Anthony Davis in the pick and roll because Who do you want to try and take away in this one? And that's kind of what the the Blazers are going to be kind of forced into. So before we wrap everything up here, what's one big key for the Blazers to win this series?
4: I think, uh, you know, they're going to need Nurkic to play big on the inside. I think Dane and CJ, they will do their thing. I think they'll, I think they can both, uh, you know, get, you you know what to expect from them in the playoffs. They both had really good performances before in the postseason. This is Nurkic's first postseason and uh, I'm, I'm really excited and maybe a little nervous as well to see, uh, you know, how he does in this first playoff matchup, especially with a player of Anthony Davis's caliber. But uh, as far as, you know, for you, you know, what things are, are, are you, what was the most important thing for you in this series for the Pelicans to, to, to come out of it with a win?
3: Yeah, it's really two things. It's kind of containing that backcourt of the Blazers. I mean, it's Lillard and it's McCollum, and we know what they're all capable of, and it's terrifying to play. In the four games they've played so far this year, the Pelicans have done a good job of at least limiting one of them. You know, maybe more of a case for why Drew Holiday should make the first-team all-defense roster. You know, Lillard had 41 in their final matchup of the season, but they held C.J. McCollum to just seven points. I think at one point earlier in the season when they played, Lillard was like one of 11 from three. So if they can limit one one of them and kind of neutralize Nurkic a little bit. I think they're going to feel really good and man, they've got to rebound again. This team does not do well in the half court. You've got to get those stops and try and get out in transition, get those easy shots at the rim. When you have mismatches, when you have a man advantage, whatever it takes there. But we talked and this is going to be interesting. Game one's really going to set the tone. So this is going to be a lot of fun to watch Saturday night on ESPN. So, Uh, Again, I'm host of Locked On Pelicans, Jake Madison, at NOLA Jake on Twitter.
4: Yeah, and I'm Eric Garcia Gunderson, host of Locked On Blazers, at Eric with a K underscore Gunderson with an E-N on Twitter as well. So, yeah, hit us up, follow the podcast, and we will have lots of great stuff for you throughout the playoffs.
0: And if you want more on that series, Eric Gunderson Garcia has a good motley group of guys that stop by and join him on the show all the time and have a lot of fun over at Lockdown Blazers. Jake Madison has LockdownPelicans.com as well as the regular podcast moving in a fast direction for you. Our final Western Conference stop goes to the classic matchup of the Spurs and the Warriors. Aliko Carter Hosts Locked On Warriors with his intellectual point of view. And the lawyer, Jeff Garcia, has got you a little Locked On Spurs. Here's their crossover.
5: Greetings, Supes. You're listening to a joint session of Locked On Spurs and Locked On Warriors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We're getting ready for some playoff basketball Saturday noon at Oracle Arena in Oakland. The Spurs will face off against the Warriors in the NBA's first round. You've got Aliko Carter, host of Locked On Spurs. Warriors and Jeff Garcia, host of Locked On Spurs, here to give you all the details. Jeff, how you doing?
6: I'm doing great, and I think it's about time that we get these playoffs on the on. Well, get going because you know every every day, every minute that passes during this little break, it feels like an eternity. We got to get some hoops going, and we're talking about the playoffs here. First round, Spurs Warriors meeting up once again. In the postseason, they ended their postseason together, at least the Spurs did, and now they're going to start it up again, facing a familiar foe. I'm glad to see these two hook up. It's just a shame they've never gone at each other full strength.
5: Yeah, you're absolutely right. You know, that 2012-2013 season, the the Warriors weren't who they are now, and then Steph got hurt. And then, of course, last year with the Zaza coming under Kawhi's foot, Uh, That definitely derailed that series for the Mm -hmm. Spurs, I'd say. And there's a lot of Spurs fans out there who uh, really feel like he might have, that Zaza, that is, might have just, you know, started a downward spiral for Kawhi. And so that brings me to my first question, man. Like, do you expect Kawhi to come back this, uh, you know, for the playoffs?
6: Not at all, nor should you, nor should Spurs fans, nor should Warriors fans. Uh, Look, this divide, allegedly— between the Spurs and Kawhi is uh, pretty large. Everybody knows about Tony Parker and his comments towards the end of the season regarding his injury versus Kawhi and how he was able to come back and it was 10 times or 100 times worse than Kawhi. He got a lot of um, pushback for that. Then you have the report that the Spurs had a very tense meeting between players and Kawhi uh, via ESPN. And uh, although the Spurs did admit that that did happen, Danny Green did say that it wasn't just about Kawhi; it was other things as well. But then, on the other hand, you got Monta Ginobili calling out Kawhi, and I'm surprised he didn't get a lot pushback as much as Parker did. But saying that he's never around; that he's he's much more around with other people than he is with the team, and he's non existent, and that he he was there. So. There's something there. There's something brewing. This offseason is going to be interesting, but as far as this this series is concerned, nope. Do not expect him to come back. He's not walking through that tunnel. He's not putting on that silver and black jersey as of now and just find it very interesting that the Spurs have not called it a season for him. They still have him game to game under injury management and I don't know. Yeah, what do
5: you think that's all about? I think they're
6: crossing fingers. I think they're they're hoping that his camp, I recall, the Spurs doctors have said that he's good to go. Kawhi's doctors outside the Spurs system have said he's not good to go. So it's come to the point where Popovich has flat out said that Kawhi will come back when his group says he'll come back. It's that bad. So. It's interesting yeah. to see this uh, pushing and pulling and back and forth between the two sides. And as much as Kawhi Leonard uh, has said that he does want to remain a Spur in the last media session he did uh, last season, uh, it's interesting that he has not come back and talked to the media or at least made some sort of, some sort of statement. doesn't have to be in person. He could just release a statement, an email, a fact, something just to say that he's okay that he legitimately is alright yeah. and that he is going to be back with the Spurs stronger than ever next season but he's not doing that and we'll definitely find out this season if uh, he does sign what the Spurs ex- are expected to do and offer him that supermax deal yeah 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 so as but as far it, as this season definitely, concerned definitely i think you're something. i think you're warriors too they were t- had a session t- uh, today or yesterday Saying they're not expecting Kawhi to come back from Draymond to Kerr and everybody else. I think everybody in the world is on the same page. Kawhi's not walking through that door anytime soon. Yeah,
5: yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And it, you know, it's one of those things where the you, you expect his publicist to be kind of pushing him to to do certain things, but you know, I gotta wonder about his mental well being, just basketball his entire life. And this might be the first time in his life that he just can't play basketball. And I just imagine that that's got to be weighing on him and his psyche a little bit, but that's still um, no excuse for, you know, potentially some bad will in the locker room. You know, uh, you expect a leader of former finals MVP to be a little bit more vocal. And so, you know, I just have to wonder about his, you know, just how he's feeling just in this first time in his life is not being able to play basketball. But you know who is able to play basketball is Lamarcus Aldridge. And man, has he been a monster for you the entire year. And uh, you know, go into go into how he's been, please.
6: Yeah, I mean, I don't know where to begin, I mean, other than to say that wow. Talk about a turnaround from last season to this season. LMA has been that rock for the Spurs on the offensive end and to some degree the defensive end. Without him posting the big numbers that he has this season, the Spurs are not uh, in the postseason. If he's not posting those monster numbers, the Spurs are looking at their uh, summer vacation right now and um, the Spurs are already game planning for the NBA draft. It's uh, it's interesting to see how much of a turnaround he's come uh especially off an off season where he demanded a trade that he did not want to be a spur and that he doesn't he thought he was not fitting in well with the team so a complete 180 he was tabbed an NBA all-star again and without Ellen May, i think the spurs simply are just a ship without a rudder um this yeah. spurs team just pretty much go as much as LaMarcus has gone and it was enough to get them into the postseason it was enough to get them a very good home record and it was enough to at least have some sort of threat on the court without Kawhi Leonard in uniform but nonetheless Aldridge deserves a round of applause he is this team's MVP and what more can I say other than he's unfortunately though he's going to have to step up his game even more so against your Warriors so LMA is going to have a lot to shoulder starting Saturday.
5: Yeah, fortunately, unfortunately or fortunately, definitely. You know, I mean, a lot of players, they relish that challenge. But you're absolutely right. Without LaMarcus, LaMarcus Aldridge, where would you be? And the meaning of the term MVP definitely applies here. But, uh, you know, the Warriors are without – you know, their most important player, obviously, the Spurs without their most important player. But uh, Kevin Durant is still probably the scorer in the league. Definitely one of the top three or four best basketball players in the league. And he's going to be extremely important as a foil for LaMarcus Aldridge, just in terms of not going up against each other, but matching and mm. trying to numbers. The Warriors are going to need Kevin Durant to be just extremely, extremely versatile, They're going to need him to score more than the 26 points he scored during the the regular season. They're going to need him to rebound at a higher rate, to assist the ball at a higher rate. They're going to need him to be the best player, not just on the floor, but in the league without Stephen Curry. And it's just really one of those things um, that uh, I think that he relishes a little bit uh, being the man. So we'll see how that goes in the first round.
6: Yeah. You know, what's interesting about uh, KD, though, is – he is definitely you know the main guy because of the fact that you're not gonna have steph curry and that leads me to ask you is kd can do it all but he's gonna need help but that helps gonna come in the form of quinn cook i mean we're, we're gonna your warriors team are gonna roll with uh cook i mean i guess they have no choice but how much faith do you have in this
5: hey team? yeah exactly you know i have a lot of faith in him uh the only player in G League history to do 50, 40, 90. He scored 26 points in the G League this year, came on for the big club, and scored in double figures in so many games, uh, including a career high like 31 points uh, a few weeks ago. The man can flat out score the basketball. He has an array of moves. He's very good shooting the three pointer, extremely confident. And- and uh, extremely efficient. And on the defensive end, he's a small guy, but he moves his feet. Uh, you know, honestly, might he might move his feet better than Steph moves his feet. Steph definitely has better hands than Quinn Cook. But if you look at him playing defense uh players, you know, and you see his footwork, it's just like, oh, man, he's been playing basketball for a long time. This guy really belongs. So I definitely have faith in him, but it's going to be a team effort. Um, Draymond Green is going to have to be the second best player on the team, and Klay Thompson is going to have to shoot the lights out. So that th- those are two very important things. But if you're talking specifically about Quinn Cook, that I absolutely have faith. He's got ice water in his veins, man. He's he's just out there ready to play. Obviously, he's going to be playing against DeJounte Murray, who's rangy, extremely versatile, and can you know be a pest on defense. He's kind of like a Kawhi light defensively mm-hmm. in terms of his length and everything like that. But uh, Quincos doesn't turn the ball over. So I'm not really worried too much about him from a ball uh, you know, protection standpoint. Uh, it's really, will his shots fall? Because we need them to.
0: For more on that conversation and that series, Locked on Warriors is hosted by Lico Carter, Locked on Spurs by Jeff Garcia, and they'll have more on that series, see how the, whether Greg Popovich has something up his sleeve and whether the Warriors can get this thing righted. Let's move to the two firings that have taken place. We'll go back-to-back with Philip Rossman-Reich of Locked On Magic, and then we'll stop by James Marcotta of Locked On Knicks, as Frank Vogel and Jeff Hornacek have both been canned and are out in their respective cities. Let's get the latest on that news. It's always the local experts on the biggest stories.
7: This is Philip Rossman-Reich, the host of the Locked On Magic podcast, coming to you with some breaking news. The Orlando Magic have fired... Head coach Frank Vogel the day after the NBA season ends. Of course, a sort of Black Thursday, if you will, uh, as the season ends. Some of these teams that did not make the playoffs – make their decisions to move on from their coaches. The Magic, though, moving on from Frank Vogel, after two seasons, he wins just 54 games in his two seasons with the Orlando Magic, 29 last year, 25 this year. And while Orlando's 25 and 57 season certainly cannot be fully put on Frank Vogel, the team suffered more than 220 games lost due to injury to some key players throughout the season. Undoubtedly, the Magic were kind of, churning in the water. They started off eight and four and then fell back into a lot of the bad habits that they've had throughout the last five years, throughout the last six years now, uh, and never really got themselves moving forward. This is a franchise that is seemingly at the bottom, at the, the, the just, uh, just the worst place they can be and unable to take that next step forward. So the Magic, in their efforts to take that next step forward, are firing their coach. Seems like the illogical and first thing to do, except Orlando now has will have... Six coaches in the last six years. Ever since firing Jacques Vaughn in 2014, they've gone from Vaughn to Borrego to Skiles to Vogel. Now they'll have a new coach as well next year. Some of that is certainly due to the fact that they have a new, new president of basketball operations now entering his second season with the team, and the team is expected to make some major, massive changes this coming summer. Vogel is not to blame for the Magic's problems. They still have a lot of roster moving to do, but... Whenever there's, new, there's a new boss, he wants to get his own per- people in, and it seems like that that was the move that the Magic are making today. Orlando Magic have fired head coach Frank Vogel, moving in a different direction, uh, the fifth best odds in the NBA draft lottery as well. But for now, for Locked on Magic, this has been Philip Rossman Reich.
8: Breaking news out of New York today. The Knicks have decided to part ways with head coach Jeff Hornacek, To the surprise of absolutely no one, he was picked by former president of Basketball Operations, Phil Jackson. And with his final year of his contract coming up, there was a deafening silence out of Madison Square Garden about his future. The question you might be asking yourself is, is it fair? Did he deserve it? That might be a little bit existential. Does anyone deserve anything? But if you're asking yourself... Does this make sense for the New York Knicks as an organization in order to maximize their success going forward? I would say absolutely it does. Jeff Hornacek, unfortunately, was not the guy to get them where they need to be. If you want to know why, I'll give you a couple of reasons. First of all, the Knicks ranked in the very bottom of the league in three-pointers attempted and in three-pointers allowed. It was almost as if Jeff Hornacek was unaware of trends in basketball in 2018, When asked to explain why the Knicks lead the league in mid-range shot this season, he gave a truly baffling response that relied on math that didn't have any bearing on reality. It was truly disappointing. He had bizarre explanations for his questionable rotation decisions. At one point, he said Frank Nilakina, their rookie defensive stud, would not be starting because he would have trouble chasing the immortal Jody Meeks around screens. Interesting. KP's development stalled after a gangbusters first month, and Jeff Hornacek did little schematically to help him adjust to the added attention of being the Knicks' number one offensive option. His in-game adjustments left a lot to be desired, and he had question marks around his player relationships. Most famously this year, he got into a what some people termed near-physical fight with Joakim Noah, which made the Knicks have to send him home for the rest of the season. KP allegedly skipped his exit meeting last year, at least in part because of a frosty relationship with Jeff Hornacek. Is he the worst coach to ever be in the NBA? No, of course not. But in a league where every little advantage needs to be maximized, Jeff Hornacek was simply not getting it done. This is James Marcita for Locked On Knicks, signing off.
0: That culminates the NBA preview editions. I hope you got the first one as well as this one. Adam Mottis and Anthony Irwin did a great job as well. A lot of content at Lockdown NBA. We really appreciate you tuning in, grabbing the show, and listening all the time. It makes our day. Thanks for being a part of the Lockdown Podcast Network.